You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Welcome to this episode of the Business of Practice podcast, where we focus on the business and human sides of equine veterinary medicine. In this episode, we're going to talk to Dr. Lisa Kivett about handling dissatisfied clients and boundaries, which unfortunately often go together. I'm your host, Kim Brown, editor of Equimanagement. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you in 2023 by Care Credit. Lisa Kivett, DVM, MS, DACVIM, owns Foundation Equine, a four-doctor exclusively equine practice near Southern Pines, North Carolina. A board-certified internal medicine specialist, she sees cases both in her newly built hospital and in the field. An active participant in giving back to the industry, Dr. Kivett has served on several committees and task forces of the AAEP. She serves on the board of EPIC, which is the Equine Purchasing and Inventory Cooperative, is a facilitator at the Starting Gate Program, and is a Decade One alumnus. She is also an adjunct professor at North Carolina State University and is passionate about teaching veterinary students and helping elevate the quality of life provided to young veterinarians. In addition to being a veterinarian and practice owner, Dr. Kivett is a joyful mom of two small children. Welcome, Dr. Kivett. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we're really excited for you to be here, and I'm not sure with all the things that you have going on and what you're participating in, how you have uh, time to breathe today, but thank you for taking the time. And sure, you're welcome. For our audience, we spoke uh, in a previous uh, podcast with Dr. Kelly Zaytuni about finding and firing clients, but sometimes between the finding and the firing or the keeping of clients, equine veterinarians need to handle issues with those clients. So, Dr. Kivett, how do you know a client is dissatisfied? There's definitely many ways, and sometimes it's quite obvious. <laughs> um, you know, kind of in order of what I feel I have encountered most commonly is expression of dissatisfaction in person, whether that's a cold shoulder, uh my least favorite thing in the world, overt aggression from a client or sometimes, thankfully, level-headed expression of discontent. Uh, sometimes my favorite is we'll get an email or a text message because that gives us some time to sort of sit with that and prepare. Um, another least favorite is when they ghost us. Mm. Uh, sometimes we'll hear third party via word of mouth. Uh, sometimes another least favorite would be a social media or Google mm. review. Um, and then sometimes they don't pay their bill, but I put that last in order of sort of things that come up commonly because inevitably, unless you just leave bills unpaid, um, that unpaid bill is going to turn into one of those other things once you actually yeah. reach out and ask them to pay their bill. I see. Okay. So are there different ways that veterinarians and their practice folks should respond to these different client issues? Definitely. Um, and they all kind of call for their own sets of actions, right? So when the client is aggressive in person, I think that's um, potentially the most high stakes situation. Um, and those are the times in which, you know, we have to remain calm. We have to leave immediately in order to ensure our own safety and the safety of our staff. 
um, or we have to ask the client to leave if they're on our premises. At that point, usually we have to cut off all communication, resist the urge to argue or engage again. Maintaining physical safety is the absolute most important thing. Um, kind of on the opposite spectrum in person, when they give you the cold shoulder um, and maybe you notice that something seems off with the client, we have to engage as much as we don't want to. We want to pretend that we don't see what's happening, um, but we have to. We have to say, hey, client, your body language or your lack of response indicates to me that you aren't feeling comfortable here. Is there something that you'd like to talk about? Um, it can be really difficult <clears throat> kind of to call that out. But if we don't do that, typically their feelings are going to fester and we're going to end up in a worse situation than we were in before. Yeah. Um, if we're lucky enough to encounter a level-headed person, um, <laughs> then we have an opportunity to engage and learn. Um, and we can be curious and um, potentially learn about something that you might need to improve within your practice. The, yeah, the emails and texts, again, I think that's great. Um, they give time to prepare, um, which we can talk a little bit about. And, you know, if it's reasonable, we'll often follow up that email or that text message and say, hey, do you think that we could set aside a time to talk about this? You know, preferably on the phone. I think. It can be really, really difficult as we all know with asynchronous text and email communication to really understand how someone's feeling. So I try mm -hmm. to avoid engaging in that way, if at all possible. Um, you know, another thing is, is when they threaten lawsuits and board complaints, you know, those are really stressful too. And yeah. kind of a unique situation, right? Where you have to say, you know, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm going to turn this over to my insurance company and you can communicate further with them, um, which is hard when there's an unpaid bill. Uh, yeah. But yeah, certainly worth mentioning that. I'm sure that's a whole nother topic unto itself. Um, I think ghosting is a unique situation as well. Early in my career, when people would ghost, I tried reaching out to them to ask what I could have done better or what prompted them to depart. Um, and my experience was that it just wasn't that useful. They were unprepared to tell me or they gave me information that wasn't helpful. I think that ghosting potentially means they don't want to talk about it and asking them to talk didn't really go anywhere. In hindsight, I do question whether had I sent them an email or a text and said, hi, would you be willing to talk to me? Perhaps that would have been better. I think the times I've done that, I still they still continue to ghost. So. Sometimes a ghost is just a ghost and there's nothing we can do about that, which is yeah. hard. Um, word of mouth is a bit of a stressful one, too. I've had those situations where you get, I overheard Jim Bob at the feed store saying you charge them $22 for a cotton ball or Sammy Joe told Bobby Joe you killed a horse with your NG tube. And these are tricky, right? Because if the gossip is borderline ridiculous, which it often is, then you can just leave it alone. But once in a while, I've run up on a situation that I think I do have to approach. Um, and those are tough. I think you have to you know, reach out to the source as best you can and just express a genuine concern that you've heard something that you don't quite understand and you'd like to learn more about. Again, tough to talk yourself into doing it. Yeah. And the social media and Google reviews, uh, it seems like they 
sometimes have the ability to be the most damaging to us, you know, because they they can arrive out of nowhere and like land in your face while you're on vacation. And then all of a sudden there's your dirty laundry aired right out in public for the whole world to see. Uh, and I, I think that's probably a whole separate podcast, but you know, there's lots of resources out there for dealing with those. Uh, but sometimes you end up using the same strategies that we talk about for the other types of dissatisfied clients as well. Wow. That would, that would be a tough one. Those are the worst. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Cause it's, it's like, you know, somebody snuck up behind you and egged you, you know, there's prepared. Yeah. Yeah. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you by Care Credit. Care Credit keeps equine veterinarians at the heart of care by providing horse owners with simple, budget-friendly financing options. By bridging the gap between cost and care, Care Credit supports healthy financial relationships between veterinarians and their clients. It can help them move forward with care a horse needs whenever and wherever it's needed. So speaking of prepared, how do you prepare yourself and your staff to deal with dissatisfied clients in general? Because we all know everybody's not going to be happy every day. Yeah. Yeah. And preparation is key. I think the absolute first thing that has to happen and that we talk about is you have to focus on yourself and prepare yourself and give yourself the skills in advance. Um, you know, making sure that you feel comfortable in your work outside of how you're perceived by others, especially clients, um, and learning to recognize and control your own emotions and responses. I think mindfulness training, um, communication workshops, negotiation training, these things are really helpful. Uh, if you can manage, if you can kind of recognize, oh, I'm starting to feel the signs of stress or agitation or frustration, uh, that's the first step to being able to control the situation. If you can't control your own response, you're going to be well outside of the ability to control the conversation. Uh, Learning to manage your body language is hard as well. And learning to identify sort of which conversations need to happen now and which ones you can table until you're a little bit calmer and have had time to process what's going to need to be said. I think learning to empathize, it, it sounds easy, but it can be really hard for a lot of us. Learning to tell ahead of time how someone may be feeling based on their early actions and their body language. Learning to express your empathy. You have to be able to do it well, which means you have to be able to really feel it. Learning to recognize what someone else's motivations may be. You can't effectively resolve a conflict without understanding where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. And communication training. We've done some DISC training, which is extremely helpful. That's a communication based training. And I'm fond of the saying that, and this will come back up again, I think that they, the clients don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So again, being able to communicate effectively and deliver empathy is the first step towards resolving any dissatisfied client's complaint. I'm a huge fan of the universal upset patient protocol, which I think we can talk about 
And uh, I've really enjoyed reading some books like Crucial Conversations. They really do help in preparing yourself and your staff in advance. The more things that we can get the staff involved with. And, you know, we have the Universal Upset Patient Protocol uh, printed out on little laminated cards and stuck in the truck dashboards and the front office. Half the time, I think they're lost, but I hope that we find them when we really need them. And then I think finally, just making sure that well in advance, you talk about the ability to kind of let things go, right? So once what's said is said, and once the conflict has been dealt with, if you keep lingering in it, you will not be able to effectively deal with the next mm-hmm. sad client that comes your way. So I have a very small little girl. And so let it go is very commonly uh, repeated at high volume in my house. I think it's a really good mantra for some of these. <laughs> yeah. And, and all those, they, they sound easy. But like you said, this is something you have to work on. You have to practice. You have to be aware of. So that's that is difficult. So, but yes. so let's, let's take a specific when you realize you're going to have a conversation with a dissatisfied client, whether you have planned it or you walk onto a farm and you're getting that feeling. Yeah. yeah. How do you prepare for that conversation on the spot? Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to the very first thing you have to do is focus on yourself. If you have time to regain sort of some calm and some control, this is why it's really great when they text or email you ahead of time so you can take mm-hmm. that time to prepare. But if you don't, have much time you know can you get in a few box breaths you know in two three four hold two three four can you get through that once or twice just even just a flash to regain your composure and then if you have time asking yourself is there any way that i can gain useful information from this conversation is there any possibility that this dissatisfied client has something useful for you to understand about your practice or the way that you've been doing things or, you know, what they perceive about you or your staff. If there is no way that you can gain useful information from this, should the conversation happen? Should you Mm -hmm. walk? You know, that client that's screaming at you, I I don't think he's going to have anything useful for me to learn and I need to leave. Um, And then asking yourself, what do you need to get from this conversation? So what do I need? Do I just need them to pay and then please go away and never come back? (laughs) Do I need to, that's sometimes relevant. Uh, Do I need to learn more about what led them to become dissatisfied? I think that's much more common than we think that maybe they actually have something to say that you can learn from. It's at least worth trying. It might not be useful information. Mm-hmm. They might just think that you should, you know, do all Coggins for free. And that's not useful, but perhaps it's worth asking. Uh, do you need to alter their behavior? Right. So is this a dissatisfied client who, if they would just stop, you know, emailing you every 30 minutes, this could be okay. So do you just need to intervene and create some boundaries with them? Do you need to keep the client? And I think this is something to be really careful of because if you start to feel like a particular client who is dissatisfied is a client that you must keep above all else, 
then potentially you've become overly reliant on this particular client and it's going to create an unhealthy relationship. So I think you have to be really careful if what you feel you need from this conversation is to keep this person above all else. That warrants some follow-up questions. Um, Some pitfalls. Do you feel like you need them to admit that you're right? Because that's not (laughs) going to work. So you have to at least ask yourself, like, am I having this conversation because I want them to acknowledge that I'm right? It's not going to work. And then another potential pitfall is, do you feel like you need them to like you? Because if that's your goal is to get them to like you, uh, you're, you need to go kind of back to step one and reevaluate, you know, where are you finding your value? Because we probably under most circumstances shouldn't be finding that value from our clients. It's, it's usually a business transaction. And then you have to ask yourself, what do they need from this conversation? Maybe it's not what you think. Um, again, the universal upset patient protocol, which let's go over in the next little bit. Um, they might not necessarily want you to fix their problem right away. The first thing they want is to be heard and to be understood. They may just need an ear. Um, They may just need to know that you can. They may just need to know that you acknowledge that what they're saying potentially has some value or there is something that needs to change. Um, Sometimes what you think they need and what they need, it's not the same. And so being open to learning and being open to empathy I think is the is certainly the right place. I'm I'm going to stop just a minute. Let's go back and talk about the universal upset patient oh, I protocol. I love it. Yes. Um, so the universal upset patient protocol, and you can Google this, and it will be the okay. first thing that comes up. And there, it's from like the Happy MD or something, the burnout prevention strategy for physicians. But it works beautifully. It's so simple. They have a lovely five-minute video on this, and the speaker is so calming and captivating. I just love it. So the Universal Upset Patient Protocol, again, it's designed for physicians who are confronted with a patient who is unhappy. And it kind of starts out with what I said before, which is that they don't know how, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So as soon as you realize (laughs) that, they're upset. You can't ignore it. So step one is, wow, you look really upset. And then they will reply in some way. It doesn't matter exactly what they say. They know you've noticed. They may say, you bet I'm upset or I'm not upset. I'm frustrated. But it's opened that door and now they know that you've noticed. So step two is tell me about it. And then you do your best to be an excellent listener. Uh, The video says that most patients will talk for about 90 seconds, and then there will be a natural pause. And when there's the natural pause, you express empathy. Wow, I'm so sorry that's happened to you. And the sort of final step is, how would you like me to help? And you have to think about what you're willing to do going forward, because how would you like me to help? Well, I'd like for you to make my whole bill zero. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't do that for you, but here's what I am willing to do. And then making sure at the end that you express gratitude to them. Thank you for being willing to share your story with me because we do appreciate it when people are willing to share with us versus arguably the ghosting 
right, is worse, <laughs> or yelling and being unwilling to engage. So again, the universal upset patient protocol, wow, you look really upset. Tell me about it. Wow, I'm so sorry that's happening to you. How would you like me to help? That's and great. You. And it, oh my gosh, every time I've ever used it, I'm like, oh, this works. It's so great. <laughs> uh, so I encourage everybody just to Google that, watch that five minute video, have your staff watch it, you know, put thing, put the little steps on a little card and put them everywhere. It really, and I, I feel like going through it ahead of time gives you a little bit of power. So you're standing there in that lady's driveway and he's screaming at you because, you know, your tire touched her grass and you just think, aha, I know what to do. I'm going to try the universal upset patient protocol. And it, it just is really rewarding. I love it so much. Well, and for, for those of our uh, our listeners, especially our vets that are out there driving in their trucks, I will make sure on equimanagement.com to include a link to the page that Dr. Kivett was talking right. about in the article, yeah. and that'll make it really easy. So you, you can just go to equimanagement.com, look for this podcast with Dr. Kivett, and I will make sure and include a link in there because I can tell you I'm going to go listen to it. So it's I so think cool. that'll be great. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, so we you just kind of answered the next question, how you how can you have a successful yeah. conversation with a dissatisfied client? And I think, you know, obviously taking time to prepare when you can, navigating it with the upset patient protocol, um, remembering to create safety, obviously your own physical safety, but be open and create some psychological safety for the client. If you really want to know why they're dissatisfied, they have to feel safe communicating that with you. That's not always an issue, but I think sometimes it is. For me, working very hard to learn to listen and wait for them to pause because they've said something that just doesn't make any sense and I really want to you know, intervene, <laughs> but just learning to just sit and wait Sometimes it takes a preposterously long time, um, <laughs> but just being patient in those moments that you're going through the upset patient protocol and they're telling you why they're upset, just listen, just be empathetic, just stay calm, just try to care and ending with what you're willing to do for them. Like the patient protocol said, it isn't always a refund. You know, sometimes they want to know that you're going to change the way that you do something. You know, oh, I I definitely acknowledge that you're upset that we were late to your appointment. Going forward, I think it would be really helpful if we started sending you a text when we're on the way. Would that be beneficial mm -hmm. for you? Little things like that sometimes can just be all that matters. Um, and I think, you know, again, just like the upset patient protocol, it's People really do like to hear thank you, you know, thank you for sharing. It doesn't come naturally to all of us to say that. But once I started saying thank you, it just started coming out a lot more. And now I say it all the time. And I wonder if it's a little bit awkward now sometimes. Um, but I, I think it's really powerful. Oh, that's, that's so much good information. So. And with the reason in our, our headline, you know, we talked about boundaries and we really haven't talked about that. And as you would say, that's another whole mm. day's conversation. Yeah. But occasionally clients are dissatisfied because you as the veterinarian set a boundary. So how mm. can you help them understand your position? So I thought 
a lot about this. And I'll be honest, I have not found these conversations to be particularly rewarding. Uh. Um, I typically feel like if a client is unhappy with your personal boundary, I don't know that you're going to get them to come around with a lot of explanation. And sometimes you inadvertently make the problem worse by giving too many details or potentially falling into the trap of sounding defensive, giving them information that they later could turn around to, you know, manipulate the situation or call your boundaries into question more. I think it's risky. I like to just clearly state the boundary and keep it simple. Unfortunately, and this is unfortunately for them, not you. Unfortunately, this <laughs> is what we're able to provide at this time. Sometimes I'll add a little detail. Uh, very often you'll hear us say, well, as we've grown, we really enjoy being able to help more clients and patients, but it's gotten very difficult to manage all of the incoming calls just for our doctors. So unfortunately, at this time, we are able to have a doctor give you a call back, but it might not be today. And it's probably going to be really short. Or unfortunately, right now, all we're able to do is manage email questions. Um, really just restating it. Uh, sometimes there will be, I have some family obligations that prevent me from being available in that way, right? But I'm not going to go into any more detail than that. And if they kick and scream, this is what I'm able to provide for you at this time. Clear, mm. Clearly, calmly restating the boundary or ending the conversation. Uh, I do have a side note, though. We have found the word policy to be extremely incendiary. And I have cautioned all of my staff to try to avoid the use of that word. So if your boundary is we don't take non-client emergencies, it's best not to say our policy is that we don't take non-client emergencies. Things to really tick people off. We've had more luck with, at this time, we're not able to see non-client emergencies. I don't know why that word really gets people, but we have found it to be a problem. So again, huh. just we calmly restate the boundary and we try to not get into too many details or allow the client to open the door to a discussion or an argument. This is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I remember on one of the podcasts we were talking and um, they said they were talking to a young veterinarian who had started a practice by giving out their personal phone number. Sure. And as the practice had grown, the boundaries of when and why people would call that number. But they're like, how do I what do I do about this Yeah, in order to not kick off all of my clients? And one, mm -hmm. you know, the. And the veterinarian said she had told this this young vet, that's very simple. You say you have because of just exactly what you're saying, because of the increase in clients, we now are routing all of our calls through this center and you will be served so well through this center. And, you know, so and you basically have to change your number. <laughs> but yes. that solves the, you know, midnight, you know, can I see you tomorrow because my horse's eye looks funky. You know, yes, yes. I, that rings true for me. I have been there and done that. 
Um, and is there anything else? I mean, I, I don't want to keep you too long. And I, I know I've sure. I, we could talk about this all day, but is there anything else that you specifically wanted to help veterinarians with when they're talking about, you know, dealing with dissatisfied clients? Sure. I think one thing that I thought about when we're talking about preparing for a conversation with a dissatisfied client and trying to sort of turn on your empathy, I recently, in a decade one meeting, learned about a strategy called Six Stories, and I've been using it nonstop. Uh, The Six Stories is as soon as you find yourself feeling sort of a a negative presumption about a person or a situation, you know, that client ghosted me. They must not like me anymore. They don't value my service. Force yourself to tell six different stories to sort of open yourself up to that empathy and figure out if you're jumping into any conclusions. Um, So the six stories would be story one is they don't like me anymore. They don't value my service. And it's very easy to get stuck there. But Story two, maybe they've run into hard times financially and they're too embarrassed to tell me. Story three, they've been meaning to return my call, but there's an illness in the family and this just isn't top of mind. Story four, they've had a change of heart and decided the horse business isn't for them and they are just going to start breeding beta fish. <laughs> and for me, they tend to get weirder and weirder, right? And then like story five, um, they've been exposed as an international arms dealer and a drug dealer and they're waiting in indictment. <laughs> Um, story six, they've actually spent the last three months in a mental institution. It just gives you permission to think about um, some of the possibilities. And for what it's worth, I did have a client ghost me and they were in a mental institution. Um, oh, dear. <laughs> so, the, you know, sometimes it's not what you think. So I, I, that was just a really interesting sort of strategy to sort of put down as a way to open yourself up to the empathy. and. One other thing I would add to when it comes to dissatisfied clients, we have a few in our practice that I'm, they're, they're chronically dissatisfied. And I'm fond of calling them the sentinel chickens, right? And people always ask me, well, why don't you call them the canary in the coal mine? And it's well, veterinarians. I love sentinel chicken. So the sentinel chickens are the people, they're just, they're always a little bit disgruntled. And they can be kind of frustrating to deal with because of how often they complain. But if you can find out if you've got one or two of these, their complaints are often kind of valid. They might be the ones that you institute a new, you know, fee here or God forbid policy there. And they're the first ones to call you out on it. And I've I've found these over time that if they express it, other people Maybe feeling it and not saying anything. Ah. And if if they if they are the kind of person that does it in a very reasonable way, and they are open to these conversations, and very willing to hear your sort of uh, input and your feelings about it, and they're willing to give that back, and they will engage in this two way thing, they're worth keeping around. And my sentinel chickens, my staff every now and then says, you know, why are we putting up with this? And I say, yeah, but remember, these are giving us some good information. And there may come a day when it goes too far and I don't want to deal with it, but they've they've just been really useful for me. So if you have a sentinel chicken or two, <laughs> you might just want to let them stay. They can be helpful. 
Oh, my gosh. That that is wonderful advice. Well, Dr. Kivett, I'm sorry. We're going to have to come back together and talk about some of these other topics because you have really uh, given some great tidbits and food for thought awesome. this morning. So great. thank you so much for joining us. You are so welcome. Thank you. And we thank our audience for joining us on the Business of Practice podcast and a Big thanks to our sponsor, Care Credit, who lets us have these conversations for you. We invite you to visit equimanagement.com or your favorite podcast network to hear every episode of The Business of Practice. And if you have any questions or suggestions, send an email to me at kbrown, that's the letter K brown, at equinenetwork.com. 